Welcome to The Roundup, a North Queensland-based podcast with regional content for regional clinicians. I'm Alyssa Hathaway, a GP and family planning clinician and head of JCU's clinical school here in Mackay. This collaborative podcasting project between North Queensland regional training hubs, JCU, and our local regional hospital and health services will bring you a different regionally relevant podcast each fortnight. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands where we meet today, who were the original providers of healthcare in this region. In today's episode on the Roundup, we're talking with Dr. Max Ryder, who we spoke with last year about the changes to voluntary assisted dying here in Queensland. Good morning, Max. Hey, thanks for having me back again. It's a great opportunity to catch up and see where Queensland is at with voluntary assisted dying. You have a particular interest in helping people at end of life with both palliative care and then voluntary assisted dying and have been really instrumental in getting this new legislation off the ground in our region. Tell me, how are things going? Look, they've been fantastic. It's been such a a learning curve over the last um, six months coming into the new program and it's only been positive experiences so far. Um, My team have been blown away by the support of our health service and uh, we've really been enjoying helping people who are in a very vulnerable part of their life and I think that uh, we've learned so many things and we're we're definitely building on our experiences and our service is um, only, only getting better each month that we progress into the year. By team, I'm sure you mean yourself, other clinicians who have undertaken the training with Queensland Health and your support staff in terms of nurses and admin staff. How many other doctors do you have contributing to voluntary assisted dying here across North Queensland? Look, we're definitely a small team in the Mackay Health Service. Queensland Health formally employs uh, myself and Melissa Harris, who's one of our CNCs, who's instrumental in helping people navigate their um, voluntary assisted dying journey. And outside of our Queensland Health team, we have uh, voluntary assisted dying practitioners, of which we we estimate there is about six others in our region, but it is hard to, to gauge because not all practitioners do wish to, to share their, their information with us. Um, we are probably one of the smallest teams in the state, but we're actually the second busiest team in the state. So it's quite an interesting relationship, that statistic. Let's talk about that a little bit. I imagine for people in regional and rural Queensland, often their diagnosis of a terminal condition comes a little bit late, later in the piece than it would for someone in a metropolitan region and access to palliative care is limited and people might think voluntary assisted dying is their only opportunity. It's interesting. Our numbers for rural areas, the top three areas in our state um, are actually outside of Brisbane area uh, locale. And it's hard to say what the reason for that is. It, it could be the burden of disease is higher, the access to diagnosis is a bit harder and the access to treatment is a bit harder. So people maybe are a bit sicker in rural areas. Also, our, our access to palliative care is is quite difficult in our health service, although it, that has definitely been improving in the past 12 months. And so we know that 
most people who go on a VAD pathway for some assessment process or, or completion, most of those people will get access to palliative care. The numbers are a bit small for us to say for sure, but we do think that our health service is probably having lower interactions with palliative care than other districts. So our practitioners are obviously thinking about people's symptom management as well. And whilst we're not palliative specialists, we're definitely always taking into account their symptom management and making sure that we we offer palliative support for each of our patients, um, irrespective of their specialist input. That sounds fantastic. People's needs are just individual, aren't they? And we need to individualise our care for them. So with voluntary assisted dying then in our region and the small number of clinicians, do we need to ask our colleagues to look at undertaking some of those education modules that are offered by Queensland Health, if not to become a voluntary assisted dying practitioner, but even just to broaden their education around the topic because we really just want to normalise voluntary assisted dying for those patients in whom it is needed, don't we? Yeah, I've spoken to 10 practices in our region and I've presented at Grand Rounds and the feedback that I get from people who aren't practitioners or haven't engaged in any voluntary assisted dying training yet, the feedback is is that it's not that they're not willing, it's just that they're very busy and finding the time to undertake the training is is challenging. The, the other component is is that the, the current situation with no Medicare item numbers for voluntary assisted dying does make it challenging for general practitioners to engage for long consults. These patients require many hours of, of a doctor's time over the course of a couple of visits, and that can be a barrier for practitioners looking to, to sign up to be a, a practitioner. And so there, there's two things that I'd like people to take away is that, that we do have a 45-minute module that's available through Queensland Health that GP practitioners are welcome to use as well. And that's a, the what's happening in the VAD space and, and how does the VAD process work legally and clinically. And that module really will give people an insight into the program and, and what's happening. The practitioner module to become a VAD practitioner is a bit longer. It, it takes approximately six hours, but it can be completed over a determinate period of time. And it, it's a deeper look into the process, the pathway, and how to implement VAD services. And I suppose what my request is, is that as a health service, that we share the burden, to share the workload. Um, if we all were doing our little part, it would just, it would make our process a lot smoother for our patients and make their experience a lot smoother getting through um, what is a difficult um, difficult assessment process for a lot of these people. It's quite confronting talking about this process, given it's quite new and most people aren't familiar with it. Max. It is such an enormous undertaking as the clinician. You've talked about some of the benefits and being able to help patients navigate through uh, such a difficult time and then offering symptomatic treatment and that little bit of basic palliative care support where you can. What are some of the other positives and negatives that you've experienced as a clinician in this area? Well, I'm a, a GP obstetrician is my, my base trade and um, I, I consider delivering babies to be quite a rewarding job. But these patients that we see for our VAD consults are probably the most rewarding clinical experiences I've ever had professionally. The patients and their families have had such a struggle for a long time with often cancers or 
neurodegenerative conditions and they're, they're searching for relief. And when we're able to provide that for, for a small group of people who are requesting that service and the appreciation, the thoughtfulness and the support that we receive from them during this process is just amazing. And I think that's what all of my bad practitioner colleagues have found that whilst it seems to be a burdensome job, it's actually very, very clinically rewarding. And the paperwork is the only thing that is the real downside. But I think we have to respect that with such a sensitive new project, there, there has to be adequate scrutiny and, and paperwork is an essential part of that, unfortunately. Sure. Max, uh, what are the most common neurodegenerative conditions that you're seeing in your voluntary assisted dying work at the moment? Look, it, it makes up a small percentage of our cases. But to be honest with you, there are some conditions that I had never even heard of through medical school or my medical training. But generally speaking, they're motor neuron type clinical presentations where people are having loss of function of motor function, swallow. Um, but we've actually had quite an array of uh, different syndromes that present with quite severe debilitating burden of disease. And those patients are typically are the most keen to, to support from us because their symptoms are nearly impossible to manage with excellent palliative care and their suffering is, is very great and often occurring at younger ages, 40, 50, 60 years of age. And so those conditions are challenging, but we have found that there hasn't been too much of a concern with loss of capacity with regards to our de- with dementia. Um, we've only had a few cases that have had to be rejected due to loss of capacity due to dementia, so which has been quite reassuring. Most of our assessments that we conduct are successful and most are not found ineligible during the assessment process. Can you just talk us through, Max, please, the referral pathways for those of us working in the hospital or in primary care? How do we start the process for our patients? The internal referral process is via the eBlue slip process, which most people are pretty familiar with. And the key questions that we need to get from clinicians is, what the diagnosis is and what their estimated prognosis is, as well as their other associated comorbidities, because as you can appreciate, formulating a prognosis to make sure that they meet the criteria is is a very delicate thing and, and very difficult for us to to arrange it sometimes. The external process from the general practitioners is through a smart referrals page. It can be also faxed as well. And there's a health pathways link now for voluntary to dying referrals. I think it's just really important that when people are referring into us, that they give us as much information as they can, because the determination that we're making is quite serious. And depending on the severity of the patient's illness can be challenging, particularly for people who have a prognosis between six to 12 months. It's harder to delineate they do meet the criteria or not and if there's ever any questions we're always contactable through the Mackay switchboard because our VAS CNC is contactable business hours to help support people in the community with questions that they might have. That's really great to know Max isn't it and I suppose too then for clinicians who are interested in signing up to become a VAD practitioner knowing that you have a community of other clinicians you can phone to bounce ideas off or ask questions of would be really reassuring to be reminded that you're not the only person dealing with some of these challenging topics isn't it? And that's right. And that's what my position with the team was designed for, was to help support the community, support the hospital, and make sure that bad clinicians are able to provide a high quality service and to make sure that it's not burdensome on them, that they're actually um, able to smoothly process their patients through the pathway and that they're not doing so many cases that it's burning them out. At the moment, we're operating in a default mode is what I would refer to it as, where the hospital service is doing 95% of the cases and almost all of them have been 
being coordinated by myself, which is unfortunately not sustainable going forward. We need to, to share the workload across the health service in the general practice and the hospital service. Max, just to recap on what we've talked about, voluntary assisted dying legislation has been enacted since the beginning of the year and the rollout has been going really well in the Mackay region with lots of patients receiving the referrals that they need, either through eBlue slips internally or through the smart referrals pathway externally. You have a team of very few clinicians, but great nursing support to help make sure the process goes as smoothly for our patients as it possibly can. The education modules through Queensland Health website might only take 45 minutes just to upskill doctors, give them the opportunity to think about maybe becoming a voluntary assisted dying practitioner themselves, and that the whole process is as positive as it can be for our patients locally who don't have access to diagnostic or palliative care services that our neighbours in metropolitan regions do. They're all really important points for us to think about, Max. For our lay people who are listening to the conversation today, it sounds like now that VAD is part of our new normal, that we really need to be advocating for improved palliative care services in our region. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's right. And I think that there, there has been an injection of funding um, to our health service. It'll come down to recruitment and staff um, ultimately at the end of the day. And I think that I can't emphasise enough that early palliative care referral is absolutely essential. Um, a lot of these patients are, are being referred quite late for their palliative care, um, we're finding. And often people think that palliative care is an end-of-the-line referral. But actually, if you've got an illness that cannot be cured and you're receiving even palliative treatment with chemotherapy, radiation, I would strongly encourage that people consider referring to our palliative teams through Sparta in Townsville. And internally, we have a new palliative consultant inpatient consults early, just so that way they can maximise their symptom control before they get too unwell. That is fantastic news. Dr. Max Ryder, are there any other tips or tricks we need to be taking home from today's podcast? No, I think thank you for engaging with Voluntary Assisted Dying and it's something that we want to keep talking about. It's, it's the new normal, it's a new offering for people, it's an end-of-life option and some people will choose to take it and we want to make what is a very difficult decision for our patients to be as simple as it can be and to support them through it. And myself and Mel Harris at, um, at the hospital are here to support the community and the hospital as well. So please do give us a call, give us an email, we're happy to help. Dr. Max Ryder, GP obstetrician in the Proserpine region, voluntary assisted dying clinician as well for our community here in North Queensland, seeing people at the beginning of life, caring for them at the end of life. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for the time. For more information about The Roundup or to share your feedback and ideas for future episodes, visit nqrth.edu.au forward slash roundup hyphen podcast or contact us at nqrth.mackay at jcu.edu.au. We also want to advise that the views and opinions presented in this podcast are those of the speaker only and do not represent the views and opinions of James Cook University, Northern Queensland Regional Training Hubs, or Queensland Health. The content supplied in this podcast is not intended as medical advice and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. 
Northern Queensland Regional Training Hubs is an initiative of the Australian Government's Integrated Rural Training Pipeline and is facilitated by James Cook University in partnership with public and private hospitals, Queensland Aboriginal and Islander Health Council, Health Services, Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisations and General Practice Clinics. 